Well, we're here in Acts chapter number 13. We started a couple weeks ago in Acts 13, and we continued last Sunday evening. And uh, we're going to uh, catch up to where we're at uh, tonight, and then we're going to look at a few verses here in Acts chapter 13 that I hope will be a help to us tonight. We talked about how that Acts chapter number 13 was uh, really a transition point because the church, for the longest time, uh, was kind of centered there in Jerusalem, and now it's kind of a turning point here because now we're seeing some of the work that's being done in Antioch. Remember, the church was established in Antioch in, in Acts chapter number 13. I'm sorry, in Acts chapter number 11. Then we get here to Acts chapter number 13 where we're starting to see the work of missions taking place. And we talked about the cradle of mission, the starting point of missions. And then we talked about the calling of the missionaries. Paul and Barnabas were called. The Holy Spirit did the calling, but the church did the sending out. And then they commissioned them. They prayed over them and they laid their hands on them and they sent them out to start the first missionary journey. And we talked about how that they worked as a team. Uh, they encountered some opposition, but at the same time, they were getting to experience the power of God. And in verse number 12 of chapter 13, they got to see their first convert. And then last Sunday night when we were meeting together, we talked to you about from, we started in verse number 13 and we went down through a few of the verses here and we started into their journey, the journey of their first missionary journey. And that's what the Lord is going to allow us to see on Sunday nights for weeks to come. And so I hope this will be a blessing to you. You'll get to see the different locations they were able to go to and how God used them as they were journeying on this first missionary journey. When they saw that first convert, when they started out, they were in a place called Cyprus, the Bible starts there in verse number 13 and tells us that they go from Cyprus to a place called Perga. From Perga, then they go to Antioch in Pisidia. And the Bible tells us at that point, John departs from the group. And so he had been with them at the start of this missionary journey, and then he departs. And the Bible, starting in verse number 14, and this is where we picked up last Sunday night in chapter 13, we talked about how the Bible records for us the first sermon that Paul gives. And by the way, it's also the longest recorded sermon that the Bible has uh, that Paul gives here. And he gives this on his first missionary journey. And remember, we told you that this sermon took place in the synagogue after Paul was invited to get up and give some words of exhortation. Remember, I said it to you last Sunday night. That's a mistake to say to a preacher. You want to give some words of exhortation? Yes, I don't mind if I do. I'd like to present the gospel to those that are here. And that's exactly what Paul did. He used that as an opportunity to get up and give some words of encouragement and exhortation. And he communicated them, to them the gospel and God's message through preaching. And we talked about how vitally important for the Christian the word of God is, but then how vitally important the preaching of, God, of God's word is as well. And we gave you two thoughts uh, last Sunday evening, and then I want to give you uh, two more thoughts tonight from this sermon that Paul preached. And we'll put all those four thoughts together, and I hope they'll be a blessing to us as we move along here in Acts chapter number 13. The first thought we gave to you last week was this. We talked about how that, that Paul's sermon talked about the preparing for the Messiah. There was a preparing that took place in order for the Messiah to come and to uh, give his life, of course, on that cross and die for us. And we talked about how the Messiah was, of course, connected with the nation of Israel. And Paul uses this sermon to describe how much God cared for Israel. And we said last Sunday that in this sermon, Paul talked about how that Israel was cherished by God. God had a special place in his heart for Israel because his Messiah came through them, and so God cherished Israel. But then we also said that Israel was chosen by God as well. 
Here's Abraham and his family back in Genesis chapter number 12. And then he uh, and his wife have Isaac. And then from Isaac, you have Jacob and then Jacob's 12 sons. And how that a nation was formed, tribes were formed from those 12 sons. A nation that did not exist before. And so God chose that land that he gave to the children of Israel, the land of Canaan. And he divided that land for them. All of this, again, preparing for the Messiah to come. So he was showing Israel that he loved them. He was showing Israel that he had chosen them. But he also was showing Israel that he cared for them. And we talked about this last Sunday night. He had cared for them by bringing them out of Egypt. He delivered them through those 40 years of journeying in the wilderness. And they had victory over Canaan. And then they possessed that promised land that flowed with milk and honey. And then he didn't just care for them by delivering, from e delivering them from Egypt. But he also showed that he cared for them by, that, by raising up judges. It was God's way of showing his mercy. Israel had uh, gotten into idolatry and they had strayed away from the Lord and God would raise up a judge. And when he would raise up that judge, there was some chastisement that took place. But it wasn't God's way of saying, I don't love you anymore and I want to turn my back on you. But contrary to that, it's like what we talked about this morning. God loves us and he has given us freedom and he's given us liberty, but there's boundaries and rules and laws that go with that, right? And so to get them back in line, he showed them that he cared for them by raising up judges. And it was God's way, again, of showing his mercy. And then we said, as we finished last week, we talked about how that God granted their request. And he gave to them a king. And then we said, number two, in our study last Sunday night, we said not only was there a preparing for the Messiah that Paul's sermon addressed, but the second thing we said last Sunday night was that there was a promise of the Messiah, the promise of the coming of the Messiah. Now, to get us caught up to where we're at, let's look at verse 23. This is where we left off last Wednesday night, excuse me, Sunday night, in Acts chapter 13, and look with me, if you would, at verse number 23. It says this, Of this man's seed, well, of whose seed? David's seed, King David, who God had raised up as a man after his own heart to be king. He said, after this man's seed hath God according to his promise. Now, where was that promise given? In 2 Samuel chapter number 7. If you go back to your Bible in 2 Samuel, you'd see that there was a promise that God gave to David. That your, that your throne was never going to come to an end. And from your throne, the Messiah would come. That promise that God gave. It says, he raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Now, here's the two thoughts that I want to give us tonight. I want us to notice number one tonight, and this is really the third thought in this message that Paul preaches here in Acts chapter 13. We saw the preparing for the Messiah, the promise of the Messiah. But then number three, I want you to notice the proclaiming of the Messiah. The proclaiming of the Messiah. Now we're going to start with John the Baptist because that's what Paul does in his message. He brings up John the Baptist. And he says in order for the Messiah to come, there had to be somebody that proclaimed that the Messiah was coming. Now, you and I both know that God used John the Baptist to do that, didn't he? He used John the Baptist as a forerunner to prepare the way of the Messiah that was going to come and proclaim the coming of the Messiah. And we see the proclaiming of the Messiah starting in verse number 24, and it goes down to verse number 37. So as we go along with this thought, we're going to read some of these verses. And I want us to start there in verse number 24. Because in verse number 24, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist was used by God to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Look at verse number 24, if you would. Now remember, as we are reading through Acts chapter 13, 
And again, I'm only reminding you of this because we're catching right in the middle of this. This is Paul's sermon. So he's preaching there in the synagogue to those that are listening. And he says in verse number 24, there was a man that God used named John the Baptist to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. Look at verse 24. When John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now, by the way, verse number 24, please do not get that little term there, baptism of repentance, um, uh, in, in, in your head where it confuses you. He does not mean that baptism is what takes us to heaven or what saves us, but instead what he means by that is if you repent and you turn from your sins, you're going to want to follow God in that step of obedience and you're going to want to be baptized. And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about these souls that repented and they came to know Christ. And so as a result of that, they wanted to be baptized. He said, John was the one that did this. Now look at verse 25. And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Now, I want a real quick journey through the Bible. It won't take us long. I just want us to look at a few Bible verses where the Bible speaks of the fact that John the Baptist is going to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly what we are seeing right here in this message that Paul preaches. Would you take a moment to look at Isaiah with me? Isaiah chapter number 40. And then look down when you've located Isaiah 40. Look down, if you would, at verse number 3. So Isaiah 40 and verse number 3. Now, this is the Old Testament account of the fact that John the Baptist would come and he would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He would proclaim the coming of the Messiah. And by the way, I think you're noticing this in Paul's sermon. This is all leading up to the fact that he's going to present the gospel to these people so they can be saved. So Paul is not doing what he's doing by accident. He's preaching a sermon to prepare hearts and get them ready for the message of salvation that he wants to stress at the end of his sermon. So again, he's He's, he's talking about how the Messiah is prepared, how he's promised, now how that people have proclaimed his coming. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 3. It says, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Well, now who's he talking about there? It's the birth and the coming of John the Baptist that is foretold here. That John the Baptist is going to come and he is going to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look, at, if you would, at the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. And once you've found Malachi 3, if you would just look at the first verse in Malachi chapter 3. It says this in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. So what is the order that is going to take place here? First of all, John the Baptist is going to come, right? He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to prepare the way of the Messiah. And then the Bible tells us that the Lord is going to come. And his earthly ministry is going to begin after John the Baptist has proclaimed his coming after he has prepared the way of the Messiah. Now, would you take time to look at Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. Now, in Mark chapter 1, we see that John the Baptist is now come. He is preparing the way of the Messiah. He's proclaiming the fact that the Messiah is going to come. 
Look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter 1, and look down, or look at the very beginning of the chapter, the very beginning of the book, really. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. Now, where was it written in the prophets? Well, we already read them, right? Isaiah and Malachi was the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. Well, now he's come. Look at verse 3. The voice of, of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins, and he did eat locust and wild honey. Now somebody this morning should have dressed up like John the Baptist, right? That would have been a good Bible character. They could have been clothed with camel's hair, with a girdle of skin about his loins, and he did eat locust and wild honey. That would have been a good one for Brother Corey this morning, dressed up like John the Baptist, all right? Now look at verse 7, and preached, now this is still John the Baptist, saying, There cometh one mightier than I, to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. What a, what a, what a, what a uh, uh, fulfilling of prophecy we read about here in Mark chapter number 1. That it was proclaimed, it was foretold that John the Baptist would come and he would proclaim that he was not the Messiah. And by the way, you noticed he did that, right? He proclaimed, I'm not the Messiah, but Jesus is the one. He is the Messiah. He is the one whom Israel has looked for and who, ha who Israel has been looking for. And then notice, I wouldn't want to go on without reading two more verses. Would you look at John chapter 1 real quickly? And this is again an account of John the Baptist as he is proclaiming the fact that the Messiah was going to come. John chapter 1, and would you look at verse 29 and verse number 30. It says this, John 1 verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, in no way, shape, or form do we ever see John the Baptist proclaiming that he was the Messiah or he was the one that was come to take away the sins of the world. Instead, you can almost picture this in your mind, he pointing to Jesus and saying, here he is. Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. I'm only used to prepare the way of the Messiah. I'm only used of God to proclaim the fact that he's here, that he's coming, and that he's here. By the way, God wants us to be proclaimers today as well, doesn't he? That the Messiah has come, and he has died on the cross. And then if they'll trust Christ as their Savior, they can have the promise and the hope of heaven. Then verse 30, This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man, which is preferred before me, for he was before me. So what does the Bible teach us? That John the Baptist proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. But if you go back to Acts chapter 13, now we're in Acts chapter 13, we're in the sermon that Paul preaches here. We're not only going to notice that John the Baptist proclaims that Jesus is coming, but number two, I want you to notice that Paul proclaims Jesus. 
Look with me, if you would, in verse number 26. I want you to notice that Paul proclaims the prophecies that had been fulfilled through Jesus. And by the way, as we look at a few of these verses, we are going to see the fulfillment of these prophecies that Paul is talking about. So there were prophecies all throughout the Old Testament of our Bible, and they came true through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we read in the Old Testament the prophecies, but then we see the fulfillment of them in Jesus, and that's what Paul's going to say to this crowd that's gathered in the synagogue that day. He's going to say, John the Baptist was used to prepare the way of the Messiah, and he proclaimed him, and now I'm going to proclaim to you that you may have taken the time to read the prophecies in the Old Testament of the Bible. Well, they were all fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26, if you would, in this sermon again that Paul is preaching. He says in verse 26, Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers... Because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day. Notice he says at the end of this verse, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Now verse number 26, we read just a minute ago. And it's, it's Paul's way of saying that God has sent his message of salvation through his son. So his son came. And his son was used to send the message of salvation. And here's what he is going to urge them to do in this sermon. I am urging you to receive this message. This is a message you must, you must receive. It is urgent that you come to know the God who sent his son to provide for you the way of salvation. Now in verse number 27, it's a unique verse. Because he said that there are prophecies that are being read, but yet those that are reading the prophecies did not even recognize. So the Jewish people, he says in verse 27, didn't even recognize Jesus as the Messiah, and they were not even understanding the words that the prophets were reading. So prophets were reading these words, but the Jewish people were not understanding them. So here's what he says at the end of verse 27. Let's read it one more time. He says, they have fulfilled them. What have they fulfilled? Well, they fulfilled the prophecies in condemning him or putting him to death. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, because they didn't understand everything they were reading, the Jewish people inadvertently, or we could use the word unknowingly. So they inadvertently or unknowingly fulfilled the prophet's words without even knowing that they had fulfilled them. And that took place when Jesus suffered. It took place when he died on the cross. And it took place when he was buried. And it took place when he rose from the grave as well. So the Bible tells us that they, that the prophets had proclaimed his death. Look with me if you would at verse number 28. Now this is again Paul's sermon. He's just preaching right through here. Verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him. So when we're reading verse 28, our minds are going right. To, we, know where we're, we know what story we're talking about here, right? When the false witnesses got up and they tried to accuse Jesus. They tried to do anything they could to put him to death. Well, that's what Paul's talking about here. And he says, 
they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be slain. And you remember what they said of Pilate? We want you to release Barabbas, right? I mean, this is a man who's worthy of death. He sinned. He should be put to death. He should be the one that dies on the cross. So we want you to release Barabbas. All right, okay, Pilate says. But if I release Barabbas, what am I going to do with Jesus? And you remember they start to scream as, as an angry crowd there, crucify him, crucify him. Fulfilling the prophecies that were said in the Old Testament of our Bible about his death. Now look with me if you would at verse number 29 there. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. Now, now what are we seeing Paul doing here? He is preaching what? He's preaching the gospel, isn't he? He is very clearly laying it out that Jesus died for us. He was buried and he rose again. And even if you did not know what the prophet said, even if you didn't understand it, you inadvertently, you unknowingly fulfilled the prophecies by putting him to death and by putting him in a tomb. And then three days later, as Jesus rose from the grave. Now let's real quickly take a moment to consider what the Bible says about these prophecies of the fact that Jesus would die. I'm going to turn in my Bible to Psalm 22. I want you to listen carefully as I read Psalm 22 and verse number 1. It's the prophecy about the fact that Jesus would die. He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is Psalm 22 and verse number 1. Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Now who used those words when he died on the cross, Jesus did, didn't he? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In Psalm 22, down in verse number 18, the Bible says this. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Now this is the Old Testament proclaiming and prophesying what was going to happen to Jesus when he died on the cross. And then I'm going to go to one more verse in the book of Psalms. Psalm 109 and verse number 25. So Psalm 109 and verse number 25, it says, I became also a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shook their heads. Again, the Old Testament prophecy of the fact that Jesus was going to die on a cross, be hung on a cross. They were going to stand at the feet of that cross. They were going to cast lots for his garments. And they were going to kill him and he was going to die on that cross. Well, not only does Paul proclaim the fact that he died, but Paul goes on to proclaim in this message that he rose from the grave. Now, these are some powerful verses. Look with me, if you would, at Acts chapter 13 and verse number 30. But God raised him from the dead. Now that would be a place where we would say, amen, right? God raised him from the dead. Now this is good. Paul's letting them know, hey, he didn't just die. He wasn't just buried. He, didn't just placed, well, he wasn't just placed in a grave. He rose from the dead. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 31. By the way, by the way, before I go on any further, you've got to remember that this particular part of the message that Paul preaches, this is the climax of the message right here. This is where we would say, if you're going to listen to anything, Paul's saying, hey, you've got to hear this part. 
Because this is what completes the gospel. This is what lets you know that you can go to heaven. So look at verse 31. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. So he talks about how that after his resurrection, there were many eyewitnesses. The Bible talks about how that there were even 5,000 eyewitnesses that saw Jesus. And there were many infallible proofs, the Bible says, of the fact that he had risen from the grave. Verse 32, and we declare unto you glad tidings. Now, if there's a reason why we would say that the gospel is a wonderful message, it's because it's good news, isn't it? That's why we say the gospel, that's why we define the gospel, we would say it is good news. Well, what is he saying in verse number 32? He said, this message that I'm giving you, it is glad tidings. Hey, this is some good news. Now, there's a lot of bad news in our world today. Now, I purposely try to stay away from the news. So if I'm going to know anything that's going on in the news, it's going to have to be because you tell me. Because I try to stay clear of the news, and I know it's a lot of discouragement out there. We got a lot of bad news in this world, but there is some good news. And there's some good news from this book. The fact that Jesus rose again. Hey, these are some glad tidings, right? Verse 32, here we go. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm. By the way, if you want to look up that later, it's Psalm 2 and verse number 7. He says in that second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Now look with me if you would at verse 34. Again, it's all Paul's way of telling them that he's risen from the grave. Look at verse 34. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. Man, that's good right there. Let's pause there just for a moment. There was a time in Scripture where Jesus would be used by way of a miracle to raise some people from the dead, right? Matter of fact, we even know in the Old Testament Bible, we are studying in the Wednesday night services. We're journeying through the Old Testament. And we just got done talking about Elijah. How Elijah took a widow's son and raised him from the dead. It was all because of God's power. We know that. And then in the Old, New Testament Bible, we see that God, that God, through miracles, Jesus through miracles was able to give back life to people. You know John 11 real well, don't you? Lazarus dies, doesn't he? And they thought Jesus was late. You're four days late now. By this time, he stinketh. There's no way that we can draw him up out of this, this tomb. But Jesus could, couldn't he? And he gave life again to Lazarus. But all of those individuals that God restored life to, they died, didn't they? They did eventually see corruption. But Jesus rose never to die again. He'll never see corruption. Man, this is a powerful truth. Look back at verse 34 if you would again. He said, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Now look at verse 35 if you would. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm. By the way, if you want to look up this psalm later, it's Psalm 16 and verse number 10. 
Again, remember, he's using these psalms and these Old Testament prophecies to let them know that these things have already been proclaimed. Jesus is just fulfilling these. So look at verse 35. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. You say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. Because if Jesus never had to see corruption, then why was he dead for three days? What he means is he would not see corruption and stay in that place. Yes, he did literally die for us, didn't he? And he literally was placed in a tomb. But he also rose from that grave never to see corruption again. Notice with me, if you would, what the Bible says there in verse number 36. It says in verse 36, what, powerful, what a powerful finish to talking about the resurrection here. He says, for David, all after he had served his own generation, by the will of God fell on sleep. Now, we, we, we know what the Bible's referring to there when it talks about sleep. It doesn't mean that he went to sleep and he's resting. It means that David, after his time of being king, he died. He was placed into a tomb. He was placed into a grave. But watch this in verse 36. And was laid upon his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised again. Now, who's he talking about there in verse 37? He's talking about Jesus. He whom God had raised again, saw no corruption. The idea here is this, that he is proclaiming the fact that prophecies were given in the Old Testament or Bible, and now they have been fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to our last thought tonight, and we're going to finish with just a few verses in this chapter, and we'll be done. We talked about the preparing of the Messiah. Then we talked about the promise of the Messiah, we talked about those last Wednesday, or last Sunday night. And then tonight we talked about the proclaiming of the Messiah. John the Baptist proclaimed the Messiah. Paul proclaimed the Messiah. And he talked about things that were given as prophecies in the Old Testament, but now they've been fulfilled through the Lord Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But now he finishes his message with our fourth thought tonight. And we've got a few verses and we'll be done. We're going to see the pardon of the Messiah. The fact that this Messiah that came and died and loved you enough to do that for you and was placed in a grave and rose again wants to forgive you. He wants to give you pardon. And he finishes the message by talking about the pardon of the Messiah. Would you look at it quickly with me here? Would you look at verse number 38? Verse number 38, the Bible says this, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. What's he say, number one, about the pardon of the Messiah? Number one, he forgives, doesn't he? He forgives. The Messiah forgives. The Bible says this. I'm going to quickly turn to Ephesians chapter 1. And I want to read verse number 7. I want you to listen to this. We think about the forgiveness of our Savior. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God is a God who forgives. But then number two, I want you to notice what he says in verse number 39. He says this, And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not excuse me, be justified by the law of Moses. Number one in verse number 38, we see that the pardon of the Messiah is found in the fact that he forgives. 
But number two, the pardon of the Messiah in verse number 31, or 39, excuse me, is found in the fact that he justifies. Oh, aren't you thankful for the fact that God justifies? I'm going to quickly turn to Romans chapter number 5, and I want to read verse number 1. Romans chapter 5, and I want to read verse number 1 about the fact that God justifies. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justification has the idea of being declared righteous. We're declared righteous if we do something, though. Did you notice what verse number 39 tells us we have to do? We'll read it again. And by him, all that believe. So you've got to believe in order to be forgiven, right? You've got to believe in order to be justified. There are two different possible ways in which we can respond to the message. We can either believe or we can reject. And the Bible says that all those who believe have passed from death unto life. All of those who believe, they are no longer under condemnation. But those that believe not, those that have not received the gift of salvation and have not responded to the message of salvation in their life, the Bible says they are going to face condemnation someday unless they receive that free gift that God has for them. Now notice the end of verse number 39 quickly. We're almost done. He says, from which ye could not be justified. All right, so you're justified if you believe, but you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. So there is no justification by the law, right? You cannot be justified by the law. The only thing the law does for us is shows us our need of salvation, our need of a Savior. It shows us how short we come from doing that which God desires for us to do. But the sad truth is today that there are many that try to mix faith and works. But God says that the pardon that Jesus gives is through faith in his sacrifice alone. It is in what he has done alone. It's not about what I do. It's about what he has already done that is the only source of hope that I have. But I I will say this, according to the book of James though, the Bible does teach us that our works, or excuse me, our faith should be accompanied by works. Which means that if we are saved, we're going to want to work for Jesus, aren't we? And we are going to want to serve him. Now let's finish the message that Paul preaches here in verse number 40. He says, Beware therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold ye despisers and wonder... And perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, we'll finish with this verse. The Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now what did we read in verse 40 and verse number 41? This is what we're closing with tonight. Paul gives them a warning. Please, he says... Do not ignore this message. By the way, it's the same warning we would give to people today, wouldn't we? Please, oh, I beg of you, do not ignore this message. That's what we would tell folks, wouldn't we? Hey, this is the powerful message of the gospel. And he's saying this. He's saying there is a group of people that will reject. There is a group of people that will refuse. And there is punishment that will come. So he's saying, please do not ignore the warning. Please do not ignore the message. If so, punishment awaits. But if you're willing to receive, he said, forgiveness awaits. Please do not ignore the message. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 
chapter number 2 and verse number 3. It says these words. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? You say, what is that verse all about? It's saying simply this. We all have a choice, don't we? And if we neglect this message of salvation, we're not going to escape the punishment, are we? We're going to have to face the punishment. But if we've received and we've believed and we've, re- we've taken that gift that God has given to us and he wants us to receive, we'll have the promise and the hope of heaven and eternal life with him. So the thoughts tonight are this. Make sure we know for sure we're on our way to heaven personally and we've received the gift. But then as we often say at the end of one of these messages from the book of Acts, because the book of Acts gives us this encouragement over and over, let's make sure we are busy telling people the message of salvation so many can come to know Christ as Savior and have the hope of heaven that God has given us as well. Father, I pray that you'd bless this truth here from Acts chapter number 13. As Paul has preached this message very clearly, He's proclaimed the fact that Jesus died and he was buried and he rose again.